Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you're learning to others. I'm Krista, the congested one tonight, and I'm here with my husband, Zach, who I just want to give a second shout out to the Equate brand Ricola cough drops. They'll change your life. We're not sponsored, I promise. <laughs> but if anyone from Equate is listening, we wouldn't say no to a sponsorship. <laughs> anyway, okay, so excuse me tonight if I, I'm going to try not to cough or do anything weird, but here we go. Or we'll, We're also trying not to turn our pages so loudly. <laughs> trying to cut down on background noise. Yeah, but in this episode tonight, it is episode 9 and we're studying 2nd Nephi chapter 11, 16, and 25. As we get into these Isaiah chapters, these are kind of the prep chapters to to an exciting Isaiah episode that we have next week. Yeah. So in that vein, it's kind of a weird block. 2 Nephi 11 and 25 are the bookends to the Isaiah chapters, which are 12 through 24, where Nephi quotes Isaiah chapters 2 through 14. And then we're going to throw in Isaiah chapter, or 2 Nephi chapter 16, which is Isaiah chapter 6, or similar to it, to kind of wet your whistle for next week's episode. To prepare for this week, our study tip is one that can be used really good with Isaiah, which is why we chose it, um, but also really good with any scripture study. One of the things, this is in chapter 25, it's a very famous verse. And I think it helps kind of light the way for what we're going to do with Isaiah. This is chapter 25, verse 26, where Nephi says, We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies. Um, As you're studying Isaiah, perhaps the biggest and best tip, and next week we'll give you more tips on how to get into Isaiah But for this week, the best one, the first one, the one that if you have no other tool to getting into Isaiah, the one that you should use is look for Christ. Isaiah is a prophet whose sole responsibility is to teach and testify of Christ. But sometimes we get lost in all of the symbols and the context and the history that we miss that. So if you want to get something out of Isaiah and if you want to keep Isaiah really simple, just look for Christ. Look for him in the symbols Look for him in the name. Look for the number of times that Isaiah talks about the Lord or the Messiah. Look for things about him that you already know and can recognize. And look for things that you don't know. And you will see that Isaiah comes alive. By extension, that tool or that study tip applies to all scripture. It's interesting to note the New Testament, which is a record of Jesus' mortal ministry, has a reference to Jesus Christ every 2.1 verses. The Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, has a reference to Christ every 1.6 verses. It is, of the standard works that we have, the most Christ-centered book available. So if you really want to have an electric scripture study, look for Christ in everything that you study. And, you know, we're... I've had President Nelson on my mind. I'm going to be quoting from him later tonight, but later in this episode. But the study, that the challenge that he gave to study through the topical guide, I did that last year. And just kind of to back up that finding him, 
what a cool study that is to go through and do. If you haven't already done it, I would highly recommend that. And that does just that. That's the one where you look up the titles of Christ in the topical guide. Right. And, and then read the verses. Read the and verses. you know, some people got really technical with it, printing out books and doing things. I just clicked over from my phone in my topical guide, but that was just a really powerful study to just see exactly what you were saying, how Christ centered the scriptures are and to really get a feel for that. So the beginning of our study tonight um, actually is a challenge on that point that comes at us from many of our Christian friends uh, and contemporaries. I just Googled recently, are Mormons Christian? And came up with a whole slew of different websites with that exact title, are Mormons Christian or some variation of it, some of them more combative, why Mormonism is not Christianity why Mormon is not Christianity. But I was just curious, I know I've heard that question, and you have too, that we're challenged on being a Christian church. And we love to mention that the name of our church is the Church of Jesus Christ. But even then, people still say we are not Christian. And as I looked at it, I realized for many of them, it's not that we don't, that they say we don't teach about Christ or that we don't worship Christ. It's that we don't subscribe to some of the quote-unquote basic universal Christian doctrines, at least some of the ones that that they see as basic and universal. And one of the main ones uh, is they challenge us that we preach that man is saved by works and that true Christians believe that man is saved by faith alone. And they pull this from good sources. You go to the New Testament, especially the record of Paul, and Paul is very adamant that we are saved by faith, not by what he calls the works of the law. Now, when we get to our New Testament series, we'll add more depth there. But one of the things you might want to know is when Paul talks about the works of the law, he's not talking about works or actions. He's talking specifically about the ordinances that belong to the law of Moses. And what he's teaching is that in a world where Christ has come and has given us the new covenant, we no longer need the ordinances and covenants of the old covenant. So when he says we're saved by faith, not by works, he means not by the works of the law of Moses. But at any rate, the question for us really is, do we as Mormons believe that we are saved by God or do we believe that we're saved by our own works? And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes you go to our sacrament meetings or you go to our lessons and we spend a lot of time talking about actions. We have talks on tithing. We have lessons on scripture study and on prayer and on service and on helping and on missionary work. And all of that is wonderful, but it's pretty easy to understand why someone would come to our meeting and think, you guys don't really believe that Jesus Christ saves you. You believe that you save yourselves. And maybe not just someone, but even us. I, as a missionary, I taught that verse with excitement, thinking, hey, Jesus Christ is there. I just have to work really, really hard. I would, I taught people that, mm -hmm. mostly members, but I, I'm thinking like, wow, I even had that misunderstanding, but not in a bad way. I didn't feel guilty about it. I was like, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff. And I was, I was a missionary, so I probably didn't feel overwhelmed because I was already doing it. <laughs> but I just think what a misconception that mm -hmm. I was feeling when I really look into that. One of the verses that creates that misconception or that, or that causes kind of a sticking point is 2 Nephi 25, 23. It's another one that you've probably heard or read before. 
This is where Nephi says, We labor diligently to write, to persuade our children, and also our brethren, to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. We like that part. But here's the part that causes a little bit of contention. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. And I've heard that discussed many different times in many different ways, but that's the verse that we sometimes emphasize, see, we have to do something to be saved. And what we want to do today is maybe illustrate that we and our contemporary Christian friends actually believe the same thing, even if we talk about it a little bit differently. And maybe if we can study these chapters, Nephi's words and Nephi's quoting of Isaiah's words, we can get a better understanding of what exactly grace is, what Nephi means when he says it. In chapter 11, to start the Isaiah chapters, he mentions in verse 5 that he delights in talking about grace. And so grace serves as kind of the bookends for these Isaiah chapters. And what we want to do in this episode is help you better understand grace and better understand what it has to do with you and what it has to do with God so that it makes the kind of difference that it should make in your life. So to start this off, in one of President Nelson's recent conference talks, he says this, It is doctrinally incomplete to speak of the Lord's atoning sacrifice by shortcut phrases such as the atonement, or the enabling power of the atonement, or applying the atonement, or being strengthened by the atonement. These expressions present a real risk of misdirecting faith by treating the event as if it had living existence and capabilities independent of our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Under the Father's great eternal plan, it is the Savior who suffered. It is the Savior who broke the bands of death. It is the Savior who paid the price for our sins and transgressions and blots them out on the condition of our repentance. It is the Savior who delivers us from the physical and spiritual death. There is no amorphous entity called the Atonement upon which we may call for succor, healing, forgiveness, or power. Jesus Christ is the source. Is the source. Sacred terms such as the Atonement and Resurrection and maybe I'll add in grace, mm -hmm. describe what the Savior did according to the Father's plan so that we may live with hope in this life and gain eternal life in the world to come. The Savior's atoning sacrifice, the central act of all human history, is best understood and appreciated when we expressly and clearly connect it to Him. And we want to say this same, same point with grace. And... Does anyone else just get pumped up when you read that? I remember when he gave this talk, and I think we were kind of just, we I mean, you just feel power behind that. Mm -hmm. Let's not disconnect Jesus Christ from what he did. And we tend to do that in the church, which lets those things lose their power. And maybe that's why we don't understand grace. Yeah. Because the other place that you talk about power is this chapter here when Nephi when Nephi teaches about his delight in the Savior, and he feels that delight because he's not talking about grace. He's talking about grace from Jesus Christ. Second Nephi 11, right? Yep, Second Nephi chapter 11. Did I miss that? Yeah. <laughs> Oops. So we'll start there, and he says, First he delights in Isaiah, 
in the words of Isaiah, and he's going to be quoting there. He says, Behold, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. And chapter, verse 5, And my, also my soul delighteth in the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made to our fathers. Yea, my soul delighteth in his grace, and in his justice, and power and mercy in the great eternal plan. And my soul delighteth in proving unto my people that save Christ should come, all men must perish. And there you go. He is delighting. And I I just remember, this was another, one of those first times that I read the Book of Mormon. Um, I just remember coming to these verses. Specifically, actually, it was one of the first times I'd read through looking for Christ. And I just remember feeling that delight that he that he feels in these pages, which made me excited to read Isaiah, even though I had no idea what I was reading, but he delighted in Isaiah and I was excited to delight in Isaiah along with him. In fact, you can't see this, but I wish you could. Um, (laughs) She's holding, as she's reading this, she is holding, (laughs) you can hear it. She's holding a page that's torn out from her scriptures because it's been uh, read so many times. She has a little heart drawn next to verse five. Um, And it's this floating it's, it's this floating page <laughs> that she loves uh, from Second Nephi chapter 11. Uh, it's interesting as you look at the words of prophets and apostles, President Nelson stated this so clearly, but I've gone back and looked at talks preceding his. Uh, there was a talk a year or two before his where President Oaks mentioned something similar that it is not the atonement, it is the atonement of Jesus Christ. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to him. And the way President Oaks explained it is, the atonement is the thing that Jesus Christ went through so that he was enabled and empowered to save us. It's not that the atonement saves us, Jesus Christ saves us, and the thing that allows him that power and that empathy is his atonement. I think the exact same thing can be said of grace. Grace in the the New Testament, the Greek word, uh, could be alternately translated as gift. Grace just means a gift. But of course, any gift has to have a giver and a receiver. Now, we talk all the time about us as the receiver. I receive grace, and I hope to receive grace, and His grace does this and this for me. But we need to be very clear that we identify grace is just the name we are giving to the things that God or his son Jesus Christ is giving to us, freely giving to us. I heard this example a little while ago. It's kind of like going into um, an antique store or a retail store, pick your favorite store. We spend so much time admiring the wares or the items that the shop owner has for sale. And sometimes we just need to look up and see the shop owner himself. We get so focused on all of these appendages to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we really need to do is look up and see that it comes from Jesus Christ himself. So our first principle is, remember that this is the grace of Jesus Christ. And giving him the credit, I think, clarifies and helps us understand those verses, that verse better specifically. Yeah. The second point uh, is back to that line in 2 Nephi 25, 23. We are saved by grace. Now, we love to focus on the second part of that sentence. After all, we can do, and I'll talk about that in a second. 
But the second point we want to make is we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And again, the word grace means gift. I'm paraphrasing this story. There was a pastor once that was walking down the street, and he met on the street a little boy carrying a birdcage with a couple of just common canaries in it. The pastor stopped the boy and he says, young man, what are you doing with those birds? And the boy said, I'm going to take him home and I'm going to torture him. I'm going to throw things at him. I'm going to play with them. I'm going to have real fun with these birds. And the pastor said, well, what will you do when you're done with them? And the boy says, oh, I'll kill them or I'll feed them to my cat. They're worth nothing. The pastor says to the boy, son, how much can I buy those birds from you for? And the boy says, oh, sir, you don't want these birds. They're of no use. They're worthless. The pastor insists, son, how much can I buy the birds for him? The boy sizes him up and says, $10. The pastor pulls out his wallet, hands a $10 bill to the boy. The boy runs off. The pastor grabs the cage, opens the door, and lets the birds out. Analogous to this, Jesus Christ one day meets the adversary and asks him, I see you have a world of people down there. What are you doing to them? And the adversary responds, Oh, I'm having a lot of fun with them. I'm torturing them. I'm teasing them. I'm teaching them to hate each other and to vilify each other and to abuse each other. Jesus says, What do you do with them when you're bored with them? And the adversary says, Oh, I'll damn them. I'll ruin them forever. And Jesus says, How much do you want for those people? And Satan says, oh, you don't want these people. You of all people don't want these people. They'll hate you. They'll spit on you. They'll reject you and deny you. You don't want these people. Jesus Christ insists, how much for the people? Satan sizes him up and says, all of your blood and all of your tears. Jesus Christ pays the price, opens the door, and lets the birds free. I like that story because it illustrates the grace of Jesus Christ. We are saved because of his goodness. I've often seen it illustrated that we do our part, say 20%, and Jesus Christ makes up the rest. And that's what grace is. That's not what grace is. Jesus Christ doesn't give us 80%. He gives us 100%. He purchased our freedom. He did it. There is nothing that I have done in my life and nothing that you have done in your life and nothing that any of us have done in our life that has earned us 1% of heaven. It has all been Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ is that he's paid for it for us without demanding anything from us before that payment. And it's already done. Yeah. You know, he has already given it. Mm -hmm. Which makes the word after in verse 23 a little bit problematic. We are saved by grace after all we can do. I think, okay, here's, here's the nerd part of me. You remember that line in Princess Bride where, uh, I can't remember the character, but the little bald smart guy says inconceivable over and over and over again. And then after a while, um, uh, Inigo Montoya says, I do not think you, I do not think that word means what you think it means. Now, of course, the word means what he thinks it means. Inconceivable, it's almost impossible, but it doesn't at the same time. Looking at that word after, I thought, I don't think that word means what we think it means. I don't think the word after in verse 23 means chronologically, meaning 
I don't think what Nephi is saying is we're saved by grace, but only after we've done everything we can do, then Jesus steps in and saves us. I think what the word after means is despite or even after, meaning despite everything you can do, even after everything you've done, you're still saved by grace. You can, you can pray and read scriptures and serve until you're blue in the face and it won't earn you heaven. You are only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'd even add in, as we're doing, as we're doing life during, President Uchtdorf has a talk on grace and he says, as we walk the path of discipleship, grace refines us, it improves us, it helps us to become more like him, and it leads us back to his presence. So I like that thought of it is with us always. Mm. We're it's saved by grace there. before all we can do yeah, and, and as, during all we can do. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. So a really good chapter to illustrate this is 2 Nephi 16. Um, this is a great chapter. It's one of the early chapters in Isaiah, and it's Isaiah meeting the Lord. Nephi says in chapter 11, verse 2, that one of the things he loves about Isaiah is that Isaiah has seen the Savior, like Nephi has seen the Savior, and like his brother Jacob has seen the Savior, and that's why he loves Isaiah. So this is the chapter where Isaiah kind of recounts that experience. Verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. And going back to our study tip, look for Jesus in everything. Well, there he is. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Train is symbolic of his power and his majesty. A train is a thing that kings wear to symbolize their kingship. It fills the temple. It's everywhere. Verse 3, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Remember the children of Israel were led by a pillar of smoke to guide them, that pillar being symbolic of the presence of God. So the whole world is filled with the glory of God. And then verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is unto me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm undone because my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. In other words, Isaiah, like so many prophets before him and very many after him, when he meets the Lord for the first time, his response is, you can't be serious in talking to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I'm defiled. You can't possibly, in all of your glory, be meaning to talk to me. Well, look at what the Lord does in his grace and in his mercy to Isaiah. Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphim, one of the angels, unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. Think of what altars symbolize and what we sacrifice on altars and how Jesus is that symbolic sacrifice from the altar. So he takes a coal from off the altar. Verse 7, he lays it on my mouth and says, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thy iniquity is taken away. My sin is purged. Like that. Isaiah's sin is wiped away, not because of anything Isaiah has done. He hasn't earned this. He was saved by the grace of a God 
who loves to give the gift of forgiveness and freedom from sin. So if the first point is to remember that we are saved by, or that the grace belongs to Jesus Christ, the second point is to remember it's that grace of Jesus Christ that saves us, despite all we can do, through all we can do, before all we can do. And maybe just a third point to add in there, verse 8. The Lord says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah, it seems, is almost compelled by this Recent experience, yeah, this freedom. Right? Then I said, Isaiah, here am I, send me. He's almost, he's ready to go because isn't that, that how it is? You feel the, you feel the power of Jesus Christ. You feel the saving power of the atonement. You feel his, the grace of Jesus Christ. And you you want to go, you want to go do something. I think we get that backwards all the time. We think we have to do all of this stuff to earn God's forgiveness. And in reality, God gives forgiveness freely. Uh, easily, like any father would to his children. So we don't do all this stuff to earn salvation. We do all of this stuff because of salvation, because of the grace of Jesus Christ. We want to act and we want to be better and we want to grow. To add a little bit from President Nelson here, he says, true disciples, and maybe a true disciple is someone who has felt that from Jesus Christ. That's a great definition. And is compelled, as Isaiah was, to do something about it. He says, true disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out, speak up, and be different from the people of the world because it's good and you want to. When you feel that, all of those things that Jesus Christ gives us, you can't help but want to to get out and speak out about it. Not to belabor the point, but one of my favorite quotes is, um, I believe, from President Benson where he says, yes, Christ changes men, and then changed men change the world. And then he explains, men that are changed by Christ become captained by Christ. Men who are captained by Christ become consumed by Christ. I love the idea that Christ changes and captains and consumes us, and then we go and change the world. We don't change the world to earn the captaincy or the consuming or the change or the love or the the freedom. That comes because God loves us. We act then because we love God. Okay, we're done for tonight. I keep saying tonight. You might not be listening to this at night. (laughs) We're done for this episode. (laughs) And our teaching tip comes from... Second Nephi chapter 25, 26, another classic one that many of you know. And we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Our, our teaching tip is this. Let's talk of Christ. Let's add on his name, like we talked about in the beginning, Let's give him the credit to things like the atonement of Jesus Christ, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, the grace of God. And it is in that those moments that our children, our students will know who to look for their remission of their sins and who to turn 
in moments of heartache and despair and all of those things that Jesus Christ can heal us. Great comment. That's it. (laughs) That's it. And okay. Also, next week we have an exciting episode. I'm excited because I'm not going to be talking. Zach has a couple special guests coming on next week to hash out Isaiah to give some great insights. We're really excited about it. So tune in next week for sure. And in the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Give us a rating if you feel the desire to do so. That would be awesome. And yeah, share share the love. Spread it around. We would be so grateful for that. So thank you. We'll see you next episode.